We are going to be wrapping up our Exodus sermon series this morning. And uh, some of us might be really sad about that. Some of us might be pretty excited, like we're moving on. Um, But we're going to be ending in chapter 33. I know there's more chapters, but this is where we're deciding. It's just impossible to try to get through the whole book in in like, you know, 12 weeks or so. So, um, but here is my question for you as we end this morning. When somebody, well, have you ever heard anybody say this? I got good news and I got bad news. What do you want to hear first? The bad news? Some of us are like, some of us are that, that kind of personality. Is like, give me the bad news so that when I hear the good news, hopefully the good news outdoes the bad news. And then some of us are more like, a little bit more like me, probably a little, my wife tells me I'm a pessimist. And I'm like, baby, I'm not pessimistic. I'm, I'm a realist, okay? <laughs> That's what every pessimist says, right? But I'm more like, give me the good news so that I could just, I can handle the bad news because I'll, I'll tackle it, right? So give me the bad news last. So hopefully the good news kind of like encourages me to, to, to tackle the bad news. But as we read through this, uh, this portion of scripture this morning, this is what God is doing with the nation of Israel. He's saying, man, I, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And so let's look at it this morning. If you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 33, and we'll start in verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, we're reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. And we'll start through verse 1 all the way to verse 6. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Parasites. That's not in there, but verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. I got good news, and I got bad news. See, here's the thing. God comes to the nation of Israel, and he says... I can't go with you. I'm not going to go with you. Why? Lest I consume you. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. I'm going to give you all the stuff that I promised you. You know, you notice that he says you're going to go into this land flowing with milk and honey. So don't worry. I'm still going to give you all the blessings. I'm still going to fight for you. I'm going to even send an angel with you so my representative will be with you. And the Israelites, what did they say? What was their heart? This was a disastrous word. Now, if I were to throw the question out to you this morning, how would you have responded to God saying, hey, I'm going to give you all this good stuff, but I'm actually, my presence is not going to go with you. Most of us would probably do the good Christian thing and say, oh, I'd I'd be so brokenhearted, right? But I don't know if that's so true about us as a people. 
and I'm not just saying Chino, but I'm just saying in general, often the things of the world, the way of the world, creeps into our hearts too. And we often find ourselves wanting the benefits, the blessings of God, but we don't necessarily want God himself. So if I were to throw it out to you this morning, man, hey guys, God's going to give us the American dream. He's going to give us that white picket fence house that we all dream about. He's going to give you that job. He's going to give you the perfect relationship with your kids. Your bank account is always going to be flowing. We go, hallelujah, right? We'd all be like, that's amazing. If I could promise that to you this morning, and it came with a caveat that, oh, by the way, though, you're kind of going to be on your own from the presence of God. If you search your heart deep, would there be this like, eh, that's not so bad. I'm going to get all the good stuff from God, but I don't necessarily have to be accountable to him. I don't necessarily have to have this intimate relationship with God. I'm just going to be able to reap all the benefits and kind of do whatever I want, and he's just going to bless me from afar. That doesn't sound so horrible. Yet the Israelites said this was a disastrous word. I'm checking my own heart this morning. See, because I think uh, Nando last week preached about idols. I know that in my heart there's some idols that when I feel like these things are on the throne of my heart, I feel pretty good. I'm feeling pretty happy about life if I have all these things that my heart desires. And sometimes my heart isn't necessarily bent towards wanting God's presence over and above all these things. Where are you at this morning? Where would you be if God were to say, I'm going to give you all this, but you're not going to have this intimate relationship with me? Let's look at how, well, let me, let me, let me just say this. I love this about the Bible, that it's not just isolated in this one story by itself. You'll see even, even in other parts of Old Testament and parts of the New Testament how it's all tied together, all points to Jesus. And there's, there's this verse in Proverbs, uh, one of my favorite verses. It says in Proverbs 27, 7, uh, let me just read it so I don't get it wrong. It says, this is the ESV, one who is full loathes, that means like hates, like despises honey. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. And this is how the message, Eugene Peterson's version says it. When you're satisfied or when you're stuffed, when you've stuffed yourself, you refuse dessert. When you're starved, you could eat a horse. You ever know that feeling? You ever like been so hungry that you're just trying to like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I just want to satisfy. And then maybe after you've eaten the dinner, you sit down and you watch TV and there's like a pizza commercial that comes on or in and out And it's like, Ugh, I can't even look at it. Get that out of my face. Why? Because you're so full. And here's the thing about us with stuff, us with the blessings of God. A lot of the time, we are so full with God's blessings that we don't realize that we don't have the one who's given the blessings. We're so full of all these things in our lives that they satisfy. So if we had this spiritual stomach in our lives, right, that was longing and it's like, what does your stomach do when you're hungry? Right? And you're like, oh, excuse me, I haven't eaten yet, right? 
If we were to spiritually sit next to each other and we could hear our stomachs grumbling. And what do we do? We reach for all the things that satisfy. And then God comes along and says, I've given you all these blessings. We're like, that's so awesome. Thank you. I'm so full. And he's like, I want to give you myself. And we're like, eh, that's okay. I got all your blessings. And the very things that God wants to bless us with become idols, become become these obstacles to getting God's presence. But for the nation of Israel, it wasn't so. They said this is a disastrous word. Whatever shall we do? Here's here's how they uh, responded to God. It says that they stripped off their ornaments. Reading that there. Now, what does that represent? What does that mean that they stripped themselves, they removed their ornaments from themselves? Even guys like back, way back in the Old Testament time, they, they were like way cooler than we are now because they even wore ornaments and, and earrings and bracelets and all these kind of things. And now guys try to copy the Old Testament Israelites. But they still, they, they wore all these things. And what they would do is they would put on these things, these ornaments, these earrings, these necklaces, bracelets, all these toe rings, oh, that's like they're going way too far, toe ring, whatever. They would wear all these things as a representation of things that represented them. It were, they were these gods that they would actually worship, and it represented these idols in their life. And when they hear this disastrous word from God that he says, hey, I'm going to go not really with you, I'm going to stand from afar, I'm going to give you all the blessings, but not me, myself, what did they do? They stripped themselves of all these ornaments. They removed all the things that were the idols in their hearts that represented what they found satisfaction in, and they instantly just took them off and they mourned. It was like us when Kirk and Mandy left. We just cried. (laughs) We mourned for eight weeks. And it was their way of saying, God... We're not going to go back to those things. I know, you know, you know we, we read last week where they created this calf and, and they burned and drank it and, and now God's saying, because you did all these things, you're stiff-necked people, I can't go with you. They're like, no, God, we'll do whatever it takes. We'll remove all these things that we find our comfort in. They stripped themselves from them. I, um, this may go a little too far with this illustration, so... I'm setting myself at the feet of the elders here. But uh, when I lived in Houston, Texas has horrible, horrible roaches, cockroaches. And they're giant. They're like the size of a a small mouse. And and it's not because it it just, if you're dirty, it's not because you have a dirty house. It's just they're everywhere. And they're in the trees, they come down at night, and they're just, they forage everywhere, right? So living in the community that we lived in, we got roaches all the time. You try to kill them and spray them, they just don't care. And one night I'm, I'm about to go to bed, and I'm, I'm wearing just like um, uh, basketball shorts. I have no shirt on, just basketball shorts, I'm about to get into bed. And I, I see this giant roach on the side of my wall between my bed and the bathroom door. And I'm thinking, and now you gotta be quick with roaches, all right? Because they're fast. And, I mean, they're so big you can hear them, like, across the floor. And if you, if you know me, as manly as I am, as all, all you think that I am, I am deathly afraid of roaches. I cannot stand them. 
It is like I scream when they, like, <laughs> I, I'm being totally serious. So I see this roach, and I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to take this roach out, right? I'm not going to go to bed with this roach. So I find a flip-flop in the room, and I'm trying to get, like, as close to it without possible, without getting too close, and I just chuck my flip-flop at it, <laughs> which is the stupidest thing to do. Well, I miss the roach. Now, I don't know if I made this roach mad, but it, and they fly. <laughs> roach on the wall comes flying straight at me. Where does it land? Right on my shorts. Now, I'm not wearing anything underneath my shorts. <laughs> this is where, if this gets too far, sorry. And in a moment of panic, I cannot find where this roach went. <laughs> so I, I'm screaming, rip my shorts off, just throw my shorts somewhere, and I am naked, standing there, utterly scared. And Marianne comes out of the bathroom like, what is going on? I'm just butt naked standing in the, in the living room. I said, there was a roach, he crawled in my pants, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't know if that illustration sits the point, <laughs> but the thing about trying to get rid of something in our life that actually takes the place of what should, the Israelites were so desperate for God's presence that they immediately stripped themselves of these things that were getting in the way of them and God. i telling you, I could, not get as, I could not get my shorts off fast enough to get this roach off of me. And for some of us in this room, the idols come and they don't look that bad. They're actually pleasing to our eyes and then they land on us and we're like, oh, we pet them. That's not so bad. And the Israelites like, no, I'm pulling off my jewelry. Give me, let me get these earrings off. Let me get these bracelets off. Because if it means between either these things or God's presence, I'll get rid of them right away. I don't care. Get those roaches off. For real. Let's, let's keep reading through the scripture this morning. Let's continue in verses 7 through 11. So God has just told Moses, listen, I'm not going with you guys. I'm going to give you the blessings, but I'm not going with you. And this is what happens. There's a little insight into this relationship that Moses has with God. It says in verse 7, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Isn't that awesome? When Moses turned again into the camp as assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Now, this, I love this little caveat, this almost like, it's like uh, a little pause in the story about God saying that he's going to depart from them. 
And it gives you this insight, this intimate look at the relationship uh, that Moses had with God. And I, it's going to make sense as we read the next portion of Scripture how Moses pleads with God. But there was this intimate relationship that Moses had. And here's what I want to encourage us this morning. A lot of us have this big theological understanding most of the time of who God is. We're, we're more comfortable with the idea of God being holy, with God being transcendent, which means that he is, he's other. He is, so, he is so God that he cannot be, you know, um, uh, intimate with us because he's this huge creator of the universe. And often what, often what we do in our theology, in our understanding of God, we, we get comfortable with those understandings. We get comfortable with, yes, God is far and God is holy and, and, and he's so big and he's the mighty creator of the stars in the universe. But in this picture, what we see is that Moses has this relationship with the creator of the universe as a friend. And it says he speaks face to face with God. Now, that doesn't mean that God physically was able to speak to Moses like because he would melt. Moses would melt. But this face to face kind of relationship is that there was this intimacy with God the Father. And I want to encourage us this morning to not only lean one way in our understanding of who God is, is that he's this almighty creator. He is the omnipotent one, omniscient. He knows everything. He is in total control. Yes, that is all true of who God is. But the beautiful thing about who God is too is that he is a friend. Now, why the encouragement on that? Because it's kind of awkward to think of God that way because when we have an intimate, think about the intimate relationships we have with our friends. Friends what? Speak truth to us. Friends what? Call us up on the phone when they know we're having a bad day. Or you being a good friend. You don't let your friend get into trouble. You don't let your friend make poor decisions. You, you love your friends in an intimate way. And when we think of God in that way, sometimes it's easier to kind of just go, eh, I don't really want that kind of relationship. And we settle again for the things, the blessings of God, rather than the intimate relationship with God. But Moses has this intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, a friend, speaks face to face. And that's available to you and I, to God. For those of us who have put our hope and faith in Jesus and we've made him Lord and Savior of our lives, we have access to the creator of the universe, not on just this, wow, God, I worship you from afar and I, and I sing songs about you and I'm not just singing songs about you. I'm singing songs to you. I'm not just praying, hopefully, to a voice that somehow hears me in the nebulous space. I'm praying directly into the voice of God. And I know with confidence that when I pray, he hears me. And I know that God is faithful to reply and answer me. And I know that in that friendship, God will speak truth to my life. And if I surrender my idols and I lay them down, I say, God, I welcome your input into my life. So my encouragement to us this morning is, let's not just understand God as just this far off, aloof, huge, mighty, giant. He is, but he's also the intimate God, a friend. God sees you. I, I love this thing that we've been saying 
I don't know if you've heard it from the front now and then, but there's this beauty that God sees us. He sees our hearts. We even prayed that this morning in pre-service prayer, that God would see us where we're at. Even the word that Mandy has this morning, that God sees you in the storm, that he's faithful in the storm, that his presence is available in the storm. And if you've only understood God as this far-off God, you misunderstand the faith of Christianity, is that God is, yes, big, but he's also intimate, and he loves us, and he wants to speak to us directly. What else this morning? Let's, let's continue reading in this chapter. In, in uh, verses 12 through 16, we see Moses' response. And Moses says to the Lord in verse 12, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my, in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, this is funny, but look at verse 15. Moses kind of, it's almost, if you didn't know what's going on here, you would kind of think, well, why is Moses asking this again? And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. So here's what's going on. Moses has this intimate relationship. He, he, he pitches a tent outside of where everybody's hanging out, and that's where he goes to spend intimate time with God, face to face. And out of this intimate relationship, God speaks to him and says, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the people. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. All you have to do is go and march in and take it. But by the way... I'm actually not going with you. I'm going to send you an angel. And out of this relationship, out of this conversation that Moses has with God, he says, hold on a second. You're telling me that you're going to give all these blessings, but not you yourself? And if you see what Moses says here, the first time God answers and says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll go with you, Moses but I'm not going to go with the nation. And Moses says, no way. It's not good enough. Why? And here is the application for you and I this morning. Look at verse, where, where is it again? Verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? Man, that's what separates us, this faith, from everything else. We are a distinct people, not, not because we have all the blessings of God. Not be, I mean, doesn't the church try to do this often? They did it with Bob Dylan. I don't know if some of you are old enough to remember, but when Bob Dylan professed his, his faith in Christ, what did the church do? Oh, yes! We have a celebrity now that can represent the church. And they push Bob Dylan to the front, and Bob Dylan gets sick of it, right? And he's like, I don't, I don't want anything to do anymore with the church. 
Because you guys tried to turn me into a celebrity. Because the church turns towards these outward trappings. We go, oh my gosh, well, I, I don't know if you've ever read through like a Christian music magazine. It says, well, if you like uh, Led Zeppelin, you'll like this. And it's some terrible Christian man, right? <laughs> if you like, um, you know, Chance the Rapper, then you'll like this. And it's like, ah. Oh. Because what we do is we try to distinguish ourselves with all the blessings that the world says, now you've really made it. If you have a rapper like Chance the Rapper or Eminem, I don't know, some of you guys don't know who that is, but if, if you like sound like this band or if you look like this celebrity and you're doing all these things, then you really got it. And Moses is saying to God, we don't want just all the things that look like we're doing successful. We don't want all the blessings. We don't want just like this white picket fence. Well, man, let's throw all that junk away if it means that we don't have you, God. Because God, you are the only thing that makes us who we are. You are the distinction. And if you and I as the church continue to go through life, and say we're distinct because our bank account says this. I drive this. My relationships, my status in the community. My, I have 8,000 Instagram followers. I get uh, whatever, all the junk the world says, wow, you've really made it. It's all worth nothing if it's void of the presence of God. Are all those things bad? No way. That's awesome stuff. Even if, even, whether you like social media or not, if you got 5,000 followers on Instagram, good job. You're really cool. None of those things are bad in themselves. But when our heart would rather have the white picket fence over the presence of God, something is really, really wrong. Let me throw you this question this morning. Individually, as a person, what makes you distinct? Is it that you live in a certain kind of house? Is it that you're like the guy who's always happy, the lady who's always happy? You're the one with a whole bunch of kids. You're the one with no kids. You're the one who, I don't know, maybe you're really generous. Maybe you're, I, whatever it is. What are the things, or is the question, or is the answer, you are distinct because you carry the presence of God with you. You ever been around somebody you just know has been in God's presence? What do you want to do? You want to be around that person. Why? Because they just ooze the presence of God. You'll read in here that when Moses would meet with God, he would come out and what happened to his face? It was like glowing. It was shining. It was, he was so in God's presence that he actually had to wear something over his face it, because there was radiance coming off. I don't even know how that works. Theologically, I'm like, I don't even get it. What is shining off of you? What is distinct about you? What are you settling for? Are you happy?
to go without God's presence? Are you happy? Are we fighting in this life to try to get more stuff, to try to get ahead, to try to get more Insta followers, to try to get our bank account bigger, to try to get up that 401k so that one day we can go retire in Tahoe? All okay things, but not the one thing. Because I can get retirement in Tahoe and sacrifice it all for God's presence and live in hell for the rest of my life. And Moses says, God, please don't go. Don't let us go without you. Please. Don't, we don't want just an angel going in front of us. We don't want just all the things. We need you. Now here's how it ends. This is beautiful. Turn to verses 17 through 23. So God says, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm not going with you. And Moses says, that's not good enough. We need you. And this is how God responds. And the Lord said to Moses, okay, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Remember the I am, the one who is. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, this is God speaking to Moses, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. He's so holy. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, this is speaking of the holiness of God the, the fact that if we, you and I, because we have sinned, we're not perfect, if we were to look on God in his full glory and his full splendor, we would do the whole Raiders of the Lost Ark thing and just, right? And so God in his love for Moses and the nation of Israel says, okay, Moses, I will be with you. And he still knows, though, that God is holy and perfect. And so there's no way for Moses to look directly on God's face. So what does he do? And this is so beautiful, guys, is that he tells Moses to hide himself in the cleft of the rock. Now, why is that a beautiful thing? Because this cleft of the rock is a representation of who Jesus is for you and me. See, God made a way while we were still sinners while we were still lost in our sin, while we still carry sometimes sin in our hearts and we long for the idols, we long for the ornaments, all these kind of things that we find pleasure in, while that was happening, God says, I still love you enough that I want to give you who I am. But if I were to give you all of who I am, you can't handle it. That's why God said, I can't go with you. I'd consume you. You would just, but I'm gonna make a way for us to have an intimate relationship. And that's by you hiding yourself in the cleft of the rock. Jesus, for you and I, is that cleft in the rock. 
I love that there's two representations of what this cleft is. Cleft, if you were to look up the word cleft, it actually means to cling to. means to hold on to. to you ever, like, like Kirk and Mandy, you haven't seen them for like eight weeks, and when he walks back on the parking lot, what do you want to do? You just want to run in slow motion to Kirk, right, and Mandy, and you just want to like put your arms around them, and you want to hug them so tight, and you don't want to ever let them go. I want to cling to them. I want to, I missed you. Oh, it's so good to see you. And I love that the cleft is not just a hiding place for you and I, but it's also something we cling to Christ. We hold on to Christ. We hold on to Jesus. We, I mean, could you imagine if Jesus was here this morning physically, what would we do? We'd mob him. We'd run. We'd hold on to him. We would say, don't go. And not as he just something that we hold and cling to, but he's something that we hide in. We something that we find our protection in. Because God is so holy, there has to be this way, there has to be this bridge that is made so that we can have this intimate relationship with the Father. And so Jesus says, I will be that cleft for you to hold on to. I will be the one that when the the burning fire of the holiness and the glory of God passes by you, I will surround you and I'll take the brunt of the wrath of the holiness of God on your behalf so that when God passes by, you will not be consumed. And Jesus did that for us on the cross. We were separated, we were alienated, and it was only through Jesus on the cross that he took the brunt, he became the cleft for us to hide in. I want to read this old uh, hymn, Rock of Ages. It just speaks about the cleft that Christ is. And I think we have the words of it. There it is. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Isn't that beautiful? Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. We can't do it. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me, Let me hide myself in thee. Jesus, the rock, the cleft.